Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine. For January 7th, 2018, our first show of 2018, back at our regular time, I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Yes, good to be back with y'all. Um, we took, a, a, I guess, over a week off. Um, kind of the probably one of the biggest hiatuses in Kudzubine history, but hopefully that'll make us nice and fresh for the new year. And then, of course, we've got just a little bit of new content to discuss as well. Uh, and first off, what pretty much the entire political world uh, is discussing is the new book by Michael Wolff, uh, Fire and Fury. And the, just the excerpts have started to come out different quotes, people getting interviewed about it. I don't know if y'all have. I have not uh, been able to read it because I guess I'm on a waiting list through a library system. Um, Tim, Catherine, have y'all been able to uh, read the book or get the book yet? I have not gotten it yet. No, not, not yet. I'm, I'm reading Chris Matthews' book at the moment, but I haven't gotten to that one yet. Yes, well, I'm sure we'll get a hold of it at some point, but uh, just what has come out uh, has been just fascinating. I think we knew, uh, you know, kind of the the broader themes that uh, there are people in Donald Trump's administration that don't respect his intellectual disability, the, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, his intellectual ability, that um, people kind of wonder about Jared Kushner. He eats too much fast food. Melania Trump, her number one desire wasn't to be First Lady of America. Um, but the details in which this has come out has been so amazing. Um, and I guess the, the one of the bigger points is, you know, the Trump administration is denying and just saying it's just a tabloid book full of lies. lies. They, he, of course, called it a fake book because everything has to be called fake, his favorite word. Uh, but the amazing thing is, is you found out that Michael Wolf asked for access just to sit in um, the executive part of the White House, was granted that access, sat there, asked people questions. Never Those people never asked for it to be off the record, and they just told him things. Sounded like journalism in many ways kind of lay-up-easy journalism because of the way the Trump administration handled it. Uh, Catherine, is that kind of the take you got, that Michael Wolf didn't have to really dig too hard to find out what he found out? Yeah, I think it's um, – I, I watched – I don't always watch the morning shows, but I did watch them this morning, and I thought someone made an interesting point that during the time, during the time that he was um, talking with White House and West Wing staff, there was no um, qualified chief of staff there to sort of um, run the show, you know, like 
clear all the sort of, you know, you know, like the chief of staff who like clears all the decks and makes sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. There was really no management. So um, they were sort of free uh, and, and talk to him without really any guidance, I guess it might be a good word. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that he did get access. I think his timing was really good for the access that he received. I mean, there's a lot of critic, a lot of critic criticism of it because there's apparently a lot of um, factual errors, like names of people and ages and um, actual positions. So I think that sort of gives it, it discredits some of it, but still, I mean, there's still a lot of uh, quite shocking quotes and um, editorialization from the staff that I think, I mean, I don't think anybody's surprised to hear it. Um, it's just surprising that they actually said it, if, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. And Tim, um, I guess to me this kind of comes out for two re- – or there's two things going on. Catherine mentioned about the uh, lack of authority from the chief of staff. Um, one, you have a president who loves attention, and if this author wanted to sit and watch him and talk to him and talk to his people, that's attention. And Donald Trump seems to think all attention is good, and that can be a problem when you're dealing with the media. And then the second thing is a lot of the sources, apparently for a lot of the quotes and material, was from the deputy chief of staff. I don't recall her name, but I've heard she's the source of many of the uh, more uh, salacious comments, particularly about um, how the cabinet members feel about his intelligence. Um, Do you think those kind of things go hand in hand? Yes, I do. Uh, you know, we, we've we talked a lot about it. We've heard a lot about it, about a um, an administration that, you know, either borders on or is in a state of chaos in uh, just their day-to-day operations. I can just see uh, Michael Wolf sitting there just watching some of this. Anybody that happened to walk by was more than glad to give a quote. They hadn't been told not to. I bet Bannon wishes... He hadn't been told not to. (laughs) There's the one, of course. There's the name that definitely is not in error. That just blew the thing up. Uh, Another thing, of course, that's just made it probably sell even better is Trump and his people attacking it. I mean, can't you just see the second and third printings of this book? And on the dust jacket, you'll see the book that Donald Trump did not want you to read. Uh, So they've uh, attacked uh, Wolf's credibility. Uh, And I'm sure him and the book publisher have both both, uh, been jumping up and down and going, yay, just as soon as they heard all of this, because it's just selling the book even more. Uh, and Wolf ha- does have quite a resume. He's uh, He's been around. He's a columnist. He's been on TV. He's written for USA Today, Vanity Fair for years, uh, things like the Hollywood Reporter. Um, he's he's won some writing awards, though, and, uh, and he's written now eight books. Um, 
But the Steve Bannon quotes just set this thing off. It set the news world on fire. Um, and, and, and of course, the book sales are just huge <laughs> out of all things, a cease and desist letter. Yeah. On the publication of a book, like they were going to stop that and the threat of a lawsuit from Trump, another one. So, uh, well, yes, I think the interesting number one thing about the, about the cease and desist letter is that it sort of um, gives credence to what's said in the book, right? Because if you, if you want them to cease and desist, then you're sort of saying, well, it's true and we don't want you to say it, right? Yeah, yeah, it well, certainly and, and makes fact, everybody it, want I mean, to read it, the book. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and, and and you know they've called it tabloid journalism. That seems to be the phrase that uh, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders uses a lot. And two things: one, the what I gather from tabloid journalism is uh, half of it's not even true. It's preposterous. But even the parts true, kind of rumor and say, and you know, five horses down. Whereas he was sitting there right in the White House, so he had access that the average tabloid journalist doesn't have, so that doesn't wash. But then Trevor Noah made actually a pretty astute point, even though it's a comedy show. He said, look, you can call something tabloid journalism, but then if you on your Twitter feed are going to go, hey, look at the sex tape and send a link, uh, and that's what Donald Trump did, you're really not uh, setting a high bar that um, you're wanting others to live up to when you're not doing it yourself. Um, so I, I don't think that that tabloid journalism um, tag fits. And, of course, the fake news, uh, Donald Trump has completely stripped the term fake of any meaning for 78 or 80 percent of the um, American public. Um, Catherine, do you think the, the tabloid term even fits? No, I mean, he was in the White House. Um, I, I saw an interview with him this morning. He said that he um, he sat in the White House and sort of became invisible. Like, people didn't really notice that he was there. So he got a pretty clear view of, you know, it's different when the, when you know someone's – I mean, not that they didn't know he was there, but he was just became sort of part of the furniture, he said. He, tr- he worked very hard to, you know, sort of blend in. Um, yeah, I mean that's just a, a, a akin to the whole idea of fake news. It, the tabloid journalism accusation is, it's you know, I, I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, it, it's pretty amazing. Well, let's get into some of the the stories and the claims. And the one that I think is the most damning, we heard uh, several weeks, if not months ago, that Secretary of State Russ. Uh, Russ Rex Tillerson called him a bleeping moron, and that seemed really, really bad. But then there's this laundry list in the book, not including Tillerson, um, Mnuchin, McMaster's, Tim. Help me out if you remember more some names. That they called him just the same type of names, questioning his intelligence. So it seems like this is a rampant opinion amongst most of his cabinet that they don't really respect his intellectual ability. Yeah, uh, I, I know that an ex-aide today who no longer works in the administration said, well, I was one of them that called him a fool, and 
and I and I meant it. Um, so you, you you know uh, another thing that gives credence to these remarks or some of them at least is uh, you've seen what Bannon's been doing this weekend. I mean, uh, staggering all over itself to walk these things back and apologize profusely. But one thing he did not come out and say, or two things, actually. He did not say that the things he said were not true. And he also did not say that he did not say these things. So obviously he did say these things. Well, if he said those things, who else said their things? Um, they're saying, oh, Wolf made this stuff up. Well, did he? I mean, and, and like you said, David, is Trump a good source to go to to say that anyone made something up or anybody said something that wasn't so, uh, you, you know, uh, everything, every word out of Trump's mouth is just going to make more people want to read this book. And uh, the administration, oh. of course, is going to handle it like they do everything else by going into just savage attack mode. Uh, I think you saw, um, if you were watching the morning shows, you saw what happened with Jake Tapper this morning on uh, I CNN. Read about it. I didn't see it. Tell us about it, Tim. When, yeah, he just he just cut an interview short uh, with uh, Miller. Um, because he was sitting there bragging on Trump instead of answering the questions, and he, his family cut him off. And then Trump goes to tweeting about that. Uh, th- it's just unreal to watch this stuff. I never dreamed I'd see a president or anybody doing anything like that. What's going on now? Yeah, well, let's get this to the next question, uh, and just about the intelligence comments. Obviously, we saw how he acted. When um, the Rex Tillerson report came out, Trump just kept on and kept on about it, uh, you know, doing everything he can, I guess, to make Rex Tillerson say something different. Rex Tillerson never exactly would. There was rumors he'd resign. He hasn't yet, uh, but people are always thinking it may be any day now. So if Trump wants this loyalty, and this case loyalty means you have to say uh, that he's got a good brain – or you know he's a super <laughs> genius, or whatever term he wants to use that day, um, and he's got all these people that have said these comments. Where does he go from here? Does he have to clean house? Um, does he have to have them say things, uh, even if they don't believe it? Um, what does he do? Well, the first thing he did was set, was block personal cell phones from the West Wing, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, I think I think he does probably. He, he may need to clean house. I don't know how you do that, though, because if you clean house, then you're just sort of admitting that these people were, you know, disloyal and um, said these things. But if you don't, then you look um, like you're allowing this kind of behavior. So I, I don't know. I don't it, it, You know, we can never predict what he'll do. He's completely unpredictable as far as, you know, how he's going to react to these things. But... I mean, I think this blocking of the cell phones and then this, what did he call himself? A, um, what did he say? He was like a extra genius? I believe like it. A super genius? It, it had the word genius in it. Um, yeah. You know, 
I remember I had Jeannie. You know, there's just so much you just can't keep up with it anymore. All yeah, the things that, that come you out. Know, I, I went to the I went to the best schools, you know, for college. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> oh, if, if if I was, I will say this: he did go to an incredible university, you know, University of Pennsylvania. Although I bet they bury their heads in the sand every time that gets mentioned because he does not help their academic re- uh, reputation. Um, but but that tells you a lot about college. I mean, there's people that go to Ivy League schools and other schools that are very elite that you're kind of like, huh? And then there's people that go to, you know, community colleges and are just brilliant. Um, so I think he kind of, um, you know, is a good example of sometimes you can go to a more affordable, less prestigious college and maybe – you know, be a little more academically accomplished in the end. Well, um, let's go ahead and get into another topic, and let's talk about the food. And it's not just the stories of, you know, he ate, you know, X number of crystals at a sitting or whatever it is. And I know it's McDonald's, not or KFC, not Crystal. But, you know, he just thinks this ridiculous my food. But um, there were two things I thought was interesting. One, that they said that he actually well, a lot of times will be in bed eating his cheeseburgers by 6.30 at night. Now, obviously, if somebody works 9 to 5 and they go home and they want to get in bed by 6.30 and they get in work on time, that's their own business. But we've kind of learned that the office of the presidency is not an eight-hour job. Uh, you got to put in some extra hours. Can you get the presidency done and still get in bed by 6.30 at night? Tim? No, he he he's not doing the presidency. He just yeah. is the presidency. That that's what he's he, he's the title. He's the title. He's the trappings. The actual work, well, considering legislative accomplishments are are lack of them, the work is just not getting done. Now, that's why people have have uh, not received ambassadorships and all these jobs uh, are vacant. And it's it's because he's just simply not doing his job. Others are doing probably what they can. Uh, I imagine the chief of staff is doing as much as he can. Uh, but Trump, you know, is just basically enjoying the title and the trappings of the presidency. And Donald Trump is not going to do a lot of work. I mean, you know, he's not. That's Donald Trump. Yeah. Hardest thing he's going to do is get up to go to the bathroom early in the morning and get on his phone and start tweeting. Yes. Uh, well, Kat, Catherine, I don't know about you, but I'm going to ask you because I know about myself. Unless I'm sick, or unless it's that every like two or three months, you just have that day where you come in and crash because your body just needs 12 hours of sleep every quarter of the year. Do you ever get in bed by 6.30 and call it a night? Uh, No. No, I might be in my pajamas, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm not in bed. (laughs) I'm doing that. Yeah, unless you're sick. Talking on the phone, watching a little TV. Um, reading a book, maybe. Um, the thing that we're, that is should be of a big concern to us is what Tim just said, is that he's not really being the president. He's not president. He's presidential, but he's not. 
you know, fulfilling the job. So that means that people who were not elected, who, you know, we may not even know, are doing a lot of the presidential work. And that is a, you know, that is a constitutional crisis. You know, whoever they may be, this chief of staff, the associate chief of staff, communication, whoever, whoever is, you know, fielding the calls and talking to, you know, global leaders and doing these things, they're not elected. They're not, uh, they're not, repre- they're, 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 they're not elected. They're not, they should not be serving in those um, important roles. And uh, I mean, not that we would necessarily want, you know, the three of us necessarily want um, the president to be doing those things either. But the fact is that it's his job and he's not doing it. So I think that, I think that's a big concern. The, the food part with the 630, but then let me get to the other half of this. Uh, apparently I've caught oh, wait, a wait, piece wait, wait. of um, – Before oh, go we ahead, finish Kevin. about food – he drinks oh, like 24, diet, 24 Diet Cokes a day. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Like, somebody, I, I, I was talking to somebody about it, and they said, oh, why don't they give him more? How much does it take to kill him? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't support that idea. But, yeah, he drinks like – he doesn't drink water. He drinks Diet Coke. And I'll tell you what, I, I couldn't stomach one Diet Coke. That's what you clean battery acid off your um, car battery. Um, but but more on the more on the food, and this isn't really so much his taste or amount of consumption. It was reported that the reason he likes McDonald's now he may actually like oh. the taste. If he come out and say I just like the taste, everybody has different t- taste buds to each into their own. Um, that I guess is one of our freedoms. We have the freedom to choose what we want to eat. Um, but he. Um, they said that he a lot of times will eat fast food, particularly McDonald's, because no one knows that he's coming, so therefore no one could poison the food. Um, Tim, have you ever heard such paranoia out of an American president that they have to go out for fast food so someone won't poison him? Because obviously he has a lack of trust uh, of his own uh, kitchen uh, staff there in the White House. You, you, you know, but but he chooses McDonald's. That's like how do you like your poison? Isn't it? I mean, it's, we're, we're we're not talking about choosing the healthiest meal in the world to replace whatever he thinks is happening to him. Does he actually think the White House staff or somebody like that is is trying to 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 poison him? I I hope that's not true. To be honest with you. I, 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 I kind of wouldn't doubt if it is because of all this other craziness that goes on with it. But that is bizarre, dude. Yeah. If, if, if when I read that, I was... part of that's true. That is just bizarre. Yeah, I mean, that just – it's kind of a, a, a level of paranoia I didn't know existed, uh, and it's kind of, kind of scary. Um, now, you – Tim, I think you're trying to allude to the things with Steve Bannon. This riff with Steve Bannon, apparently at first when the book came out, Steve Bannon was going to apologize. He was going to walk a lot of it back. Then Trump, and he didn't. Now he may be starting to walk it back. What kind of rift is this going to um, cause within the Trump-Bannon wing of the Republican Party? 
Well, you, you you know how it is. Anyone who doesn't just almost worship Trump is is on some sort of the outs with him, or 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 I don't know if he has an enemies list like Nixon and <laughs> that bunch of paranoid folks had. But but Trump people fall in and out of favor with him. And if you don't fall on over him, that's when you fall out of favor. Uh, Trump and his supporters went right after Bannon, uh, attacking him savagely. And listen, if there's a fight between Bannon and Trump, Trump is going to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, the And as we see... Bannon is staggering all over himself to try to backtrack everything he can. His Breitbart job is is even in jeopardy. The funding he seeks from the Mercers to run all these campaigns is in jeopardy. Had he run won the Roy Moore race, he 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 might have something to hang his hat on, but he doesn't even have that. Uh, on the third this week. He started trying to mend fences, calling Trump a great man. And now he's issued uh, this lengthy apology this weekend, especially uh, to Trump and to Don Jr. Uh, And at the same time, of course, he now tries to uh, blame everything on Paul Manafort. Uh, So he's sucking up to save himself and to re-ingratiate himself to Trump. And in Trump's world, that works a lot. I would not be surprised to see those two right together uh, at some point in the future. Yes. Now, now, uh, Catherine, Tim mentioned the Roy Moore race. And really, didn't he win it? Because to me, the only winnable thing in a lot of these races is the GOP primary when it becomes – you know, Trump picks one guy and Bannon picks the other. You know, that's where it's going to be decided because the Democratic Party and, and Democratic candidates have such wind at their back. They're going to win a lot of generals, and that really doesn't have anything to do with Bannon Trump. That just well, it has everything to do with the fact that they've ruined the Republican brand. But as far as the their little infighting, Luther Strange got beaten by um, Roy Moore. So in a lot of ways, Bannon won that thing. Well, but that's not the – I mean, I think for us inside baseball people, that's the way it looks. But I think for, you know, the general public and for um, Trump supporters, his base, as they, as they refer to it, they think that, you know, Bannon lost the that, that Senate seat. So if – I mean, I'm sure they think that if Luther Strange had been the candidate that that they would have won. I don't know that that's true. We don't know. We'll never know. But I, I think no. I think they view that as a ban and loss. I see your point. I mean, I, and it's and it's valid. But I think that's more of an inside, you know, baseball um, uh, conclusion than uh, than what is normally it would be seen by the general public and Republican base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, let's. Uh, and we, I have a feeling we're going to continue to discuss this book because things are going to come out or people are going to react to it. But there's one more thing that I wanted to take time to talk about, and that was let's vis- revisit a very painful night for all of us, election night 2016. And apparently, Michael Wolf was had access that night too. 
And um, even Don Jr. apparently was quoted in saying that um, Melania Trump was in tears, did not want to be first lady, had been assured there was no way that Donald Trump could win. And when she found out she was going to have to be first lady, um, she was in tears and mortified by it. No one thought they were going to win. Um, Tim, does this – I mean, I think we had an inkling, the feeling that probably not a lot of people in Donald Trump's circle thought he would win. But did we know it was this level of we don't think it's going to happen and we sort of don't want it to happen? I, I think it was that way with Melania. You can tell by the way she acted uh, around that time, I mean, for starters, she would not go to the White House for a long time. Yeah. Uh, you would see these pictures of them at dinners and stuff, and she just looked like she really wished she was somewhere else. I think she has always enjoyed being the wife in the background here. Uh, being able to walk about New York City and live her life and do her thing. And I I really do not think that she wanted any part of uh, political activity and the job of being First Lady. I think she, in recent days, has tried at least to appear to do the job but uh, she, I, I, I think to this day that she just really is uh, almost devastated that this is where this is. And she is one that definitely does not wish to be there. Even on election night, when they took the stage, you know, after, uh, well, you, they were almost in shock. They yeah, weren't giddy so. with excitement or any, any of that. They they were just in shock. Like, no, this didn't happen, did it? Uh, they weren't the only ones. Of the Maybe there was 5% of the true believers uh, that thought that. Kenneth, I'm going to ask you an you question. Obviously, leading up to the election, the polls showed Hillary Clinton with a you know, a, a lead that we kind of thought, well, she should have more than a, what, a five-point lead. There's somewhere around the neighborhood it was, maybe some seven-point leads. But, you know, she's in good shape. I mean, this just doesn't make sense. She's won all three debates. She's as qualified and maybe more qualified than any other candidate uh, to run, and he is the least qualified candidate ever to run. It just doesn't seem like there's any way he can win. Had some polls come out, and it would have shown a neck-and-neck neck race, kind of like, say, uh, 2000, 2004, where it could go either way. Do you think that either Donald Trump, if he really didn't want to win, if that's true, or others in his campaign that didn't think he should win, would have done something to kind of sabotage the campaign at the last minute? Mm. Well, that's a good question. Um, I, 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 It's hard for me to... It's hard to know um, how important it is. I mean, I think it was important. It's important to him that he's a winner. Um, so I'm not sure he would have sabotaged his own race. If people around him 
I think it's just a it's a really tough question because you know the the Republicans who may have felt that he was uh, not qualified also probably were not were you know not fans of of uh, Secretary Clinton either. So I'm I, I don't know if they would have sabotaged their own Republican candidate in order to get um, Secretary Clinton elected because they don't like her either. So I think that's, you know, it's hard to imagine. Um, it's hard to hard to sort of prescribe what would have happened, you know, what if. Um, but it's an interesting question and worth sort of contemplating. I just, I can't imagine... Uh, Donald Trump doing that though I, I don't think he would sabotage his own race I think you're right The the winning and loving to win And, and loving to seem the most important Even though he might have seen The media uh, empire He could have built or what have you uh, He couldn't have uh, sunk his own ship um, yeah. Tim if you want to have a thought on that Go ahead if not we can move on You let me know no, I, I agree. I agree with Catherine. If there was any sabotaging done, it was against Hillary Clinton anyway. Uh, and I mean that's that that that's why uh, Robert Mueller is is doing what he's doing. Uh, that's why Comey was fired. That's that's why a lot of this stuff is is happening. Uh, I don't think that anyone would have purposely sabotaged Trump's campaign from. From inside, uh, if it, he did surround himself closely with true believers in Donald Trump, like Kellyanne Conway, like Bannon, and these people, and no, they were not about to do it. And Trump also depended on family a lot to take on some of the major roles where outsiders would do it in, in, in other areas. So, no, I don't think there's any way that happened or would have happened. Yeah. Well, one more thing I want to bring up, kind of a closing thing, is Trevor Noah, again, he had some great analysis on this book. He said, you know, honestly, if, if all this was about election night was true, the Trump administration and campaign should not deny this book they should embrace this book because this book would absolve them, if it was all true, of a lot of the Russia allegations. Because if he really didn't want to be president, then why would he want the Russians to fix it? Now, that's where the, the complexities come because, I mean, obviously there's some folks like Manafort that it appears definitely uh, were colluding with the Russians. And then, of course, uh, there's some parts of the people of the Trump family Don Jr., probably Donald himself, that wanted to win. They just have to win and have to be the most important. So uh, there's a lot of flesh in between the book and the investigation that, that has to be nuanced and come on out. Um, but we'll have more time in future weeks because I, I definitely think we're not done with this um, this book discussion by any means. Oh, no. But <laughs> no. something no. that we started and just didn't have time to finish last week, which since we've got – a little under half the show. Hopefully we can at least get this done this week. We were discussing the Georgia governor's race last week. We, were cover we covered the Republican side. Now it's time to move over to the Democratic side. For those of you that are listening that haven't been following the race, uh, there are two announced Democratic candidates um, at this point. Now, there may be some fringe candidate, but as far as serious 
going to raise money has a background candidate. There's House Minority Leader Stacey Abrams, um, who's running from the House for the governorship, and Stacey Evans, who's also a House member. And um, both of them are rather young for uh, Georgia politics, and they're young compared to our current governor and governor before that, but um, certainly have been in the legislature, both of them, for multiple terms, so they still have experience at the same time. Um, that kind of sets the thing up. Uh, Catherine, um, tell us kind of how you see the race right now. Um, well, I think, you know, it's quiet right now. Um, I, they're all raising money, obviously. Um, I haven't heard a lot from either of them, you know, a few comments here and there. Um, Stacey Abrams did um, show up on uh, Politico's list of 10 10 candidates to watch. Uh, I think it came out last week. Um, I I think that you know there's very little difference in in terms of um, policy and um, values between the two of them. They're very very similar, but I think they're the big difference is their approach to the to the race. And while um, Representative Abrams who both of them have resigned their seats and have they've been replaced. So just to make that clear, um, is, uh, hoping to register a lot of Democrats who have not been active, particularly, um, women of color and people of color, but also just, um, disenfranchised Democrats, um, who don't vote as regularly as we'd like them to. Um, she's, that's her approach. And then, um, Representative Evans has um, is looking at the numbers and believes that we, their numbers don't work. That math doesn't work that way. That we have to we have to switch some uh, Republican or independent voters to move over to the Democratic side. So I think that's going to be the big um, sort of the big difference between their campaigns because their um, what they stand for is all very very similar. I, I mean, I saw them at a forum a couple of months ago, and their answers to each question were almost identical. Um, there's a little bit of difference in their approach to education, but it's not nearly as striking as um, either candidate makes it to be. So that's my, you know, sort of view of it right now. Tim, I think they're incredibly similar, like none of the first names. Um, you know, that's similar in their backgrounds. I mean, like I said, they're both younger, both female. Uh, on the issues, uh, same thing. Now, as far as Catherine had a good uh, mentioning of the different strategies. Do you grow the emerging Democratic majority, or do you try to pull some people back? Actually, if you look at two races in the last nine years, I think they're both right. I think if you look at 2008, where President Obama almost won, and Jim Martin um, was able to force a runoff, and you look at Georgia continuing on that trend, in that environment, Stacey Abrams could be right. If you look at Alabama a few weeks ago, Stacey Evans is right because Doug Jones was able to switch a whole lot of people back, and that got it done too. So both strategies can work. Um, where do you see this race? Uh, battle of the Stacys, huh? Well, yeah, the Catherine's right on um, 
on the issues, they they almost mirror each other um, on what they believe in in a whole lot of areas. But uh, Stacey Abrams does believe that a coalition of of, of uh, you know African American voters and and white liberals can get it done, and she points at a state like Virginia uh, to to show us that. Uh, uh, her, her campaign says there's a million uh, blacks uh, that are eligible to vote in this state that that don't vote, and if uh, a lot of them did vote, we'd win a lot of these races. Um, and they also mentioned that in the last election, in the presidential election, uh, about 50% of the registered blacks in this state voted, but about two-thirds of the registered whites. Uh, got out to the polls, and it provided Donald Trump with his margin of victory. Uh, Stacey Evans, on the other hand, wants to try to attract moderates from all over the state, uh, some of whom actually voted for Trump, uh, and and some rural voters who definitely did uh, vote for Trump, and uh, she's been making the rounds in, in some of those areas. Like she, she came up here, for instance. Since last year, and and spoke at our dinner. So so this disagreement is over which voters that not only their campaigns but perhaps the outreach arm of the party want to spend their money on to attract and get to the polls. Um, this debate is ongoing in this state, and and this race highlights that. Uh, Progressives seem to have placed their bets on Abrams, especially people from outside the state. A lot of her money is coming in from like Move On and from from a lot of the coast crowd and people like that from outside the state. And and I guess most of Evans' institutional support, wouldn't you say, Catherine, is from within the state? Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. Um... Y'all are talking about these two different strategies and how to get there, if you will. Uh, I kind of, my opinion is like that song that was about 25 years old, Oletta Adams, called Get Here. Get here any way you can. Now, it's not talking about politics, but it, it has all kind of means of someone getting to their location. And so if we can get to a Democrat in the governor's house and the governor's mansion, get here how you can. It doesn't matter what the way is. And I think a lot of times races ought to be like a funnel, early on, you talk to all voters because any Georgian has a stake in this, has a vested interest. And then as you go along in the campaign, you have to narrow and narrow and get to those people you know are going to vote for you. And so early on in this stage of the game, both of them should be talking to everybody, even maybe somebody, people that do typically vote Republican that might be disenfranchised or, di- or feel – um, left behind in what the Republican Party's doing. Um, so I would recommend neither of them cut off um, dialogue just because you're going to be serving these people. It's probably easier to govern if you have a broader coalition when it comes time to actually pass legislation. Now, I'm going to tell y'all one fear I have, and I'm going to be real frank, wide open, honest, and then y'all can react to this. I'm afraid that both of the candidates, and this happens in the Republican Party the other way, but I'm afraid both candidates may fight so hard for the nomination 
that they move to try to um, box each other out, having the most progressive wing of the party, knowing that those are probably the most um, energetic voters and the most likely to um, really support and um, get out the vote and work for you. But they're going to work so hard that they then might alienate too much of the middle to win um, if the Republicans are able to use some things that might be said or done, even on their behalf. And I point back to when Netroot Nations came, because I don't think Stacey Abrams was coordinating what, you know, when Stacey Evans was shouted down. But is there a way that sometimes where they move too far to the left or get moved too far to the left and get painted in a corner, and that could hurt their election chances um, in the general? Catherine, do you think that's an unfounded fear, or could, could this part of that be realistic? Um, I, I think there's certainly some fear about that. What, what's more, what I'm more afraid of is that they'll beat each other up on a, you know, not not by pushing each other one way or the other, but just beat each other up. Just you know, uh, cast criticism on each other, and then we'll end up like the you know. Kathy Cox, Mark Taylor race in uh, whenever that was, 2006. Um, that's my fear, is that we'll end up, they'll end up bru- so bruised and that their supporters will be so angry they won't um, vote. Their, uh, the, the supporter of the candidate that didn't prevail will be... Um, I, maybe not less less inclined to be uh, enthusiastic about the which, whichever one wins. That's my fear, more than pushing each other one way or the other. Yeah, Tim, do you have any the, fears on the about this primary? Oh. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry, Tim. I'm sorry, Tim. Any, any fears about this primary process? Uh, well, yes, of course there are, and and all of us recall 2006 when they bloodied each other up and made the nomination not worth having, and it probably killed any small chance that either of them had of uh, winning the race. Not only that, but it ended two political careers, two very promising mm-hmm. political careers at the same time, and left... Uh, us in a talent vacuum for a, for a long time that we're just now really re- uh, recovering from. Um, my hope, though, that the difference will be this year, or, or excuse me, um, later this year, is that uh, Democrats are foaming at the mouth to vote in a way I have not seen them do so in a very long time. I am hopeful that regardless of who gets the nomination, that's, that that's just going to hold true. And uh, I, I, I'm hoping that the candidate who does not prevail in this late, uh, race gives a hearty, full-throated endorsement of the person who does prevail. That can make a whole lot of difference, a la Bill Clinton at the 2008 Democratic Convention. With just one or two sentences, Bill Clinton stood at that podium 
as you recall, and unified the Democrats for the uh, for the fall election. I, I'm very hopeful that's going to happen again. I really think it is. I think Democrats are going to come out of the woodwork to vote uh, this year all over the country, not just here. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. And this is a, an electorate season that's <clears throat> going to be more like 2006 than 2010 and 2014 were. Those are just incredibly tough years all over the country for Democrats. So this doesn't seem like a there's, good time there, to squander. There, there's another advantage, guys. Uh, you know, there's seven Republicans at least running. Right. Um, they are going to have to have a runoff. While we have our nominee and start unifying the party, uh, they will still be in a dogfight for their nomination in an open race. Um, that that'll that's a really good point. Well, well, Tim, you made a great point, but it was another question I was going to ask that could possibly refute that point. Do either of you, and I'll let Catherine answer it first, see the chance of a surprise candidate getting in the race? And I mean someone substantial that he could either could self fund or fund up really quickly, um, throwing a third person in this thing. Oh, geez. The Democratic side? I don't think so. Yes, Democratic I, side. I don't either. I, I, I just, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I think we got yeah, our I field. Just, I just ask because you know, I mean, it's it's possible, not likely, but possible. So, well, correct me if um, I'm wrong, guys, but haven't most of the big name, other big name Democrats already taken themselves off the table? Yeah, they've already well, and, was that, gotten behind the, one of these two candidates. Right, right. That I can think right. of. Right. Yeah, I mean, Jason Carter, they had to look, and I think he actually announced that he wasn't going to run before one of them did. Kasim Reed, he said he's not going to run. Because I think a lot of people two years ago might have thought this was going to be uh, Jason Carter versus Kasim Reed. Um, didn't turn oh, I out think that way at all. It was gonna, I thought it was, I, I really thought it was going to be Kasim Reed against Stacey Abrams. Yeah. That's what I thought. It just, um, look, looking how it was. Um, now, of course, I know some people probably said, oh, well, Jason Carter didn't run a good race in 2014. I just think 2014 was a dog year. I don't know what Democrat in Georgia was going to win in 2014. Let me ask you a question, um, David. Let me let me ask sure. you a question, David. We've discussed this before, and I want Catherine especially to weigh in on this. We've all had the naysayers to say, look at the history. We just can't elect a woman. Can't do it. It's not going to happen. Uh, you think that talk's going to be out there heavily? You would certainly I hope not. <laughs> I mean, it, it, Georgia is so far behind where they should be um, as far as electing uh, women that it's kind of kind of amazing that it even you know comes up. Uh, because, I mean, because so many other states, even a state like Iowa, who doesn't have a long history of, has you know Joni Ernst now that they've elected to the Senate. Um, so, but it is kind of. Uh, you know, a lot to take on that both candidates are female. I guess this will actually be the first time that a nominee of a major party 
um, for governor is going to be female because I'm assuming, too, I'll answer my own question, that there won't be a third candidate to get in. It's just something to think about. Tim, you brought the question up. Do you think it's going to become a factor? I, you know, I'm I'm hoping not to. I'm I'm hoping we're finally gonna get that elephant out of the room. Uh, uh, neither party, though, has 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 ever sent a, a female to the governor's chair or a, a female to the to the U.S. Senate, and so they say because of that, it, it, it can't happen again. But I'm finally to the point where I feel that not only can it happen, but that it could possibly be an advantage for yeah, that's the party nomination. It, it will definitely, I, I and I, I think, yeah, it'll a contrast, no, no doubt. And they say in politics a lot of times contrasts are good. Um, and so it'll create a contrast. One more thing on this governor's race that I want to talk about is, it's been a, uh, several months now. Both candidates have biographical videos out, and this seems to be a very common strategy now in Democratic politics to get these things out early. Andrew Gilliam, who's running in Florida, has a really good one out too. Stacey Abrams has a really, really solid one. Stacey Evans has one just because of the her story that is just really fascinating. And I mean – and not everybody has the same life experience, so it's not fair to um, compare sometimes simple things like that. But, I mean, hers, the fact that she lived in so many homes uh, throughout her you know, childhood and was still able to go to law school, really um, impressive story. Do you all think that those videos will get out there to where not just people like us know about them, but just the average Georgia voter has either seen it or heard about it? to where people kind of have a background of who the candidates are on a deeper level that even if they don't agree with some of the positions, say if they're Republican or uh, conservative voters, they at least respect them as people. Catherine? You know, I think um, I think it's really hard to make those videos go viral so that they get, you know, a lot of attention. I think it was good for them to, you know, release them early, and they did get some attention when they first came out. I imagine they'll try to, you know, pump that up again. But I think it's really hard for – they're long. You know, they're like, what, five or six minutes. I think people's attention spans are not that long. You know, we're all – we all like our, you know, one-minute videos or, or even shorter. Um, so maybe they'll revise them a little so that they're shorter. Um I do think they're helpful. I think they sort of give a really good, you know, sort of snapshot of the candidates. But I think it's hard to, I think it's hard to um, make something go viral so that a lot of people see it. It's it's a it's a tricky um, strategy, to, especially if you're going to depend on it. I mean, I think they'd like certainly both candidates would like that to happen, um, but I think it's hard to hard to you know make happen yeah tim you've seen those videos um any thoughts on them and how they could penetrate i think uh their purpose is uh for 
for the primary, I really do uh, to rev up the supporters uh, to get them out there to vote, to uh, make a connection between the candidates and the voters that they seek to get in the primary. I think the general election, though, you know, I mentioned the elephant in the room while ago. You know what, guys? There's going to be an elephant in the room. His name is Donald J. Trump. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's going to be true in every state in this country. Uh, so a lot of what happens in these states is going to be decided outside of these states. Uh, as far as having the money to get the message out, I don't think any candidate – uh, either candidate's going to have that problem. I think they got plenty of that coming in, so they they can saturate the mass media. But what we got to watch in the general election is Donald Trump and how he's going to yeah, play and- with the public and what kind of message they want to send for him or against him in a state like Georgia that is kind of moving uh, back toward the middle of things. And, and, Tim, I think you're absolutely right that he's going to affect politics, even in our state, on statewide races. One thing that the Republicans have sort of going for them, and, and it ain't much on this, is there's no Senate race. And there's probably not going to be – there may be one or two competitive um, high-level House seats. Um, and and that's, that may even go away if there's better targets to, for the Democrats to win back the House. But there's not going to be as much federal interjection in politics, but, and so that may help the Republicans mitigate, but, not completely get rid of, but, mitigate that. But, 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 we are going after those legislative seats hot and heavy. We picked up three in the last year, and we are going great guns at them, and they are going to be more competitive than they have been in years in a lot of these counties, it's going to drive some of our voters to the polls that have not been there before because they didn't even have a competitive local race to vote in. Wouldn't you think so? You're right. And I will say this. This is the Republicans' fault uh, for a lot of this because in 2004, a lot of them wanted to federalize state races when George W. Bush uh, ran for reelection, and you know they were trying to get people, to, even if they were Democrats, to take their picture with him, and they wanted to run with him in 2004. Well, once you federalize um, statewide races, a lot of times they're not putting that genie back in the bottle, so it's their own fault. Well, guys, we had two very thorough discussions of two topics. Um, we Shoot. didn't get to Tim something you wanted to, but good news, Donald Trump had your back, Tim. Uh, the fakies. Right. Have been postponed till after next Sunday, so that's good for two Great. reasons. One, we can discuss them next week, and two, if you want to tweet at Donald J. Trump, we will accept if we're nominated or win uh, best fake podcast. Yeah, hey, uh, we we um, will actively no, we'll campaign like for these awards, guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, Catherine, I know you're uh, you're probably disappointed, but you got the Golden Globes. But just get ready for the fakies next week. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Good night, y'all. Good night, guys. Uh, night, everybody.